Amen. And uh, quite frankly, a great encouragement because uh, Pete's chosen the hymns for us this evening, and that one just fits in so perfectly with the message that we will be uh, looking at now briefly. So keep your Bibles open. Uh, we are going to um, uh, shift around a little bit with different sections of Scripture that we want to look at. And as I say each time, if you haven't got our church app, then do please make a note of it. And uh, you can get all the Bible references from that. It's available. You'll see the notes for the message to, uh, together with uh, the, uh, the references, which is always handy to have. So I won't necessarily read all of the details out, but uh, if you can get hold of the app, um, talk to uh, any sort of people that come along to church regularly, and they'll help you to be able to find it. Now, this evening isn't necessarily an in- easy message to bring. Uh, It's one which uh, speaks very much to my heart and to my life, and I'm sure that it will do to a number of us here this evening. You see, one of the things that's under great attack today is the family, Christian families in particular. Uh, Because if we can be seen to be weak and ineffectual in our families, then we discover very quickly that uh, the enemy has won battles. Um, If marriages break up, he wins a battle because that's something that shouldn't happen. Uh, If children are, uh, you know, running astray and they don't want to be involved in church, they're not interested in the things of God, they don't want to look at the scriptures in any way, then again, these things will go out and people will find out and they'll look at us and they'll say, you know, look at these people, that's the life they live. And so we have to understand that there are some very important reasons why it is that we need to live what we would describe as Christian lives individually. Um, Our relationship with God, first and foremost, is what's important. But then we discover that our families, our marriages, number two, and then our children, number three, and the ministry that God brings to us, number four. And so we see that there is an important order that takes place. And this evening, as we have read Genesis 35, we spoke of it last week, uh, and we praise God. And if I can say this reverently, from the section of Scripture that we have read this week, and as I say, if I can say this reverently, I hope you'll understand this, that we praise God that He is the God of second chances, the God of third chances, the God of fourth chances, the God of fifth chances, the God of sixth chances, because we need these chances in our lives. So often we fail, and yet God is gracious, and He says, we can start again. We can deal with this when we go through the right uh, channels and the right processes, if you like, in terms of confessing sin and so on. So I say it with great reverence that our God is famous as the God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances, and so on. So there's nobody here who can feel or say or think to themselves, you know, it's all right for these really goody-goody people who have achieved so much in their lives, but look at me, you know, I'm on God's rubbish heap. No, you're not. Because he doesn't have a rubbish heap. He wants to restore us. He wants the best for us. And he will do that as we come to him, as we submit to him, and as we surrender to him. So friends, nobody walks out feeling downhearted, discouraged in any way whatsoever. Now I just need to say very clearly that this doesn't mean that we tempt God. And sometimes I come across people who seem to think that they can do that. Um, well, you know, God's the God of second chances, therefore I can do what I want. No, 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 that's not how it works. That's not the way that we treat God. 
Okay? So we have to be careful that we don't tempt God. It does not mean that we try to run rings around God. Sometimes we get the idea, you know, we're so clever we can do this. I can carry on and do whatever I want in whatever way I want to. I can deal with my family. We can do all these things. And, and God, yes, you're there. You've made all these promises to us. And, and, and that's fine. And what we're doing is trying to run rings around God. Uh, we can't play on this characteristic of forgiveness of God. Oh, no. Because that's deliberate deceit. But let all of us express our gratitude for this aspect of God's mercy, of his merciful nature, that sadly we all depend upon. Now as you look at Jacob and the great blessing that have been poured out on him, and then you consider the desperate mess that he has made of everything, you'll think to yourself that God would simply have said, Jacob, enough. I'm not interested in any more. Not interested in what's going on. I'm not interested in you anymore. Promises that are made and, and broken. Vows that are made and that are broken. Enough. Go. Leave me. You clung to me that I would bless you, and now you do all this. Go. But God did not say that. Nor did God in any way show that that was the attitude that he had. Because it wasn't. You see, whether it is Jacob or David or Jonah, or Peter, or you, or me, the Lord will never allow those on whom he has set his love to fall completely away. Perhaps you and your family are in a right spiritual mess at the moment. There's things going on in your lives you hope no one else knows about. You've spent all your energy and effort to make sure nobody knows. And you're hoping with all your heart that nobody does. But God does. Perhaps as we're talking this evening, you can begin to well identify all too easily with the spiritual disobedience and the spiritual weakness that has been caused in your life. And as I say, we're here this evening not to condemn anybody, not to make anybody feel bad in any way whatsoever. That's not my job, but the Holy Spirit will convict you. He will bring to your mind things that you perhaps need to put right. Relationships that are bring broken, and you need to sort them out, and you need to put them right. But the goodness is that there is a prescription... Here in this text this evening, which if followed, and I say this with complete confidence, if followed, 
will result in your personal restoration with God and your relationship with Him. But not just you, it will result in the restoration of your entire family. And there are some of you who are thinking to yourself, but that's impossible. (laughs) You don't know my family. You don't know what it is that's gone on in our family. And I don't want to know. I'm not interested. This is between you and God, between you and your wife, between you and your husband, between you and your children, between you and your family. But you might go on and say to me, look, pastor, it's fine. You, 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 you You keep saying all these problems and difficulties can be sorted out if we just become a better Christian. Well, in a sense, I am saying that. But this evening we're going to discover that it's a lot deeper than that. It's a lot more involved than that. It's a lot more personal than that. It's a lot more painful to start off with the words that one has just said there. But there is a prescription. If followed, it will result in restoration. Now, I can't tell you the time scale. I can't tell you how it's all going to happen But God is your God. If you love him, if you trust in him, restoration will be the result. But the prescription has to be followed very carefully. There's no shortcuts. You can't opt out of certain parts of it. It's rigorous. You've got to follow it. You can't do it in a half hearted fashion if you do you'll fail and you'll try to turn around and say I tried it pastor and it failed if you're half-hearted it will there are four stages that we're going to look at this evening very quickly and firstly the first stage is this it's very simple in that sense it's recognizing that God is telling you that you need to make a fresh start. Now that sounds very simple, doesn't it? We all like fresh starts from time to time. You know, you remember at school when you failed miserably at some course or something that you've been on and you want to make a fresh start and you're determined to be able to do it and you start again and you do everything that you can. But in the Christian life, in our family lives, as Christians, it is vital that we recognize that God is telling us to make this fresh start. Because if we try to do it in our own strength, you know, I just need to improve things. It's not going to work. This has to be God speaking to us, God directing us, God leading us, God showing us. And so the first thing we do is recognize that God is telling us to make this fresh start. And we read Genesis 35 verse 1. Then God said to Jacob, get up, go to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. Jacob is told to make a fresh start. He's told to move, pick up everything he owns, all the stuff he's got. The thought of moving house. But he had to do that to make a fresh start. And there is no doubt that Jacob, at this particular moment in time, is probably paralyzed after all that took place in chapter 34. Read it in your own time. Sexual violence against his daughter. Mass murder. Shame. The probability, and this is just incredible, the probability of the imminent destruction of God's chosen people. 
the sheer awfulness of the situation. And in all of that, Jacob then hears the voice of God speaking to him. God speaking to him again. God's spoken to him before. God's appeared to him before. And now God comes to him and appears to him again graciously. And Jacob hears the voice of God again. Chapter 35 begins, Then God said to Jacob. And what does God say? Enough? Go on, get out of my sight? No. That's not what God says. You see, God is not like you and I. When people upset us, that's the sort of thing we'll say to them. I I don't want you around me anymore. You know, after what you've done to me, I'm I'm not interested. You know, I, I, I don't want to turn the other cheek. Because God is not like you and I. That's how we would probably react. The Lord God says to Jacob, arise Go to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. What is this? This is God offering Jacob a lifeline. God's reaching out to him with a lifeline, a new beginning, a fresh start. An opportunity to put behind him all the terrible things that have happened in chapter 34. And God is offering him the ability, the desire to start all over again. God is offering Jacob a second chance. Perhaps a third chance, a fourth chance. And friends, the Lord is doing the same for you and for me. If he's reminding you of broken promises that you've made. If he's reminding you of the times That you said that you would listen to him and then you turned away from him and you didn't listen to him. Friends, God is saying to you, don't slide any further into the cesspool of your life. The failings with your family. Your children don't respect you anymore because of the things you've said and done. And parents are struggling. But God offered Jacob a second chance. And God is saying to you and to me, go up to Bethel. Whatever that means to you. And I don't know what it means to you. But you do. Because God is speaking to you. You know what it means. God is saying to you, be determined to return spiritually to the place where you had no resources to rely on except the promises of God. Where you received a fresh vision of Jesus and were prepared to step out into the unknown, confident that Jesus was with you, that God was with you. That's what we're told to do. To go back to that place. Friends, there were no worldly attractions at Bethel for Jacob. Nothing. 
In fact, there was absolutely nothing there, full stop, but a pile of rocks. It was a rocky place. Nothing to attract a wealthy cattleman who was rich. There were no comforts for him. There were no flashing lights, nothing like that. There was nothing there for Jacob except one thing. And do you know what it was? The string of old memories. That's it. Nothing else. But something inside Jacob reminded him of the time when spiritual choices and life itself was simpler. And it was proving irresistible. And now he knew that God himself had renewed the invitation to him. God gave him another chance, a second chance, the chance to start all over again. And friends, I say this with confidence, it's the same for you. But you say, well, what will all the other people think? The ones I've hurt, the pain I've caused, the difficulties, the embarrassment. Perhaps God can forgive But I know my friends can't. I know my wife can't. I know my husband can't. I know my family can't. My children laugh at me. I know my church can't. What about them? And you're right. They may all struggle to forgive you. But friends, who's more important? That they forgive you? Or that God forgives you? Who's more important? Are you going to turn your back on correcting the things that have taken place just because other people might feel differently? Or are you going to deal with it before God who will deal with the lives of each of the other people and restoration will be brought and you will be amazed how quickly and how graciously God deals with all people in all circumstances because the mess that you've made can be sorted out. So in this prescription that we're talking about, the first thing we need to do is to recognize that it is God who is telling us to make a fresh start. Don't put it off. He's been speaking to you for months, years even. There's this quiet voice that keeps on reminding you that you need to deal with this. And the starting point is when you listen to him, when you recognize God speaking to you and telling you to make a fresh start. And he's saying, I'm going to stand with you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to do everything you can. And you'll be amazed. I can restore you to the place that you never, ever thought was possible. But God can do this. He wants to do this. So that's the first point. The second point, though, We have to do some groundwork. This is where it begins to get hard work. We need to root out and bury everything in our lives that is ungodly. Everything in our lives that we know is absolutely not right before a holy God. Where we hear about people talking about living holy lives, that's what the Bible tells us to do. But we can't even describe what it is to live a holy life, to be living a life set apart for God. We can even be critical of other people who do appear to be living what we would describe as holy lives. And yet, this is the calling that we have. 
So we need to root out and bury everything that is ungodly. And I mean everything. There's nothing that you can keep. It's all got to go because you keep one tiny little thing. And everything else will come crashing down. Genesis 35 verse 2. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourself and change your clothes. Now, can you imagine they had foreign gods to start off with? Who who allowed this to happen? Jacob did. Did he know about it? Of course he did. He saw, he heard, he knew. And so often we can allow these things to come into our hearts and in our lives. And I'm not talking necessarily about idols of gods made of wood or stone, but of other things in our lives. Things that take our focus and our attention away from God. Money is one of them. Sex, immorality, pornography, drugs. Alcohol. Do you realize the number of people that come and talk to Joe and I who are struggling with alcohol? Marriages that are breaking because the husband is more interested in alcohol. Idols that have to go. Now, we have to concede that God is in all that is happening here. Because Jacob has started by recognizing that it is God who is telling him to deal with these issues. And that means that Jacob has invited God into the situation to deal with it and to start to work in his heart, in his life, and the life of his family. Not only does Jacob himself suddenly come alive again spiritually, because that's one of the things that happens. The moment we recognize our need to deal with these problems, that God is speaking to us, the minute that happens, suddenly there is a rekindling in our hearts and our lives of that relationship with God. And suddenly we become spiritually alive again. Not only does Jacob appear to be re-infused with new decisiveness, not seen for years, But his rebellious family instantly and meekly and gladly begins to obey him. And people say to me, you don't know my family. They're not interested. My son's not interested. If I began to live a holy life, he wouldn't be interested. How do you know he wouldn't be interested? Have you for one moment begun to try So that you pray for him, so that you read the scriptures and you keep reminding him of the fact that God loves him, that you love him. Have you tried? Because here, Jacob roots out the evil. He roots out the idols. And suddenly and instantaneously, his family sit up and take note. Because they see a change in their father. We read in verse 4, So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had, and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Friends, this is astonishing. 
How simple it all becomes when God is at work, but do we trust him? Jacob would have been afraid to have commanded this before, even had he wanted to. You see, all of Jacob's old courage has returned now, and the Lord immediately owns it. What we're beginning to see here is no mere outward reformation. Friends, it's family revival. It's revival. And it begins with the decisiveness to follow God's leading. And we will find, and we'll talk about this in just a moment a bit more, that our family will begin to notice. Christian fathers here this evening, and mothers for that matter, and for those who are listening online, I want to say this, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to be the person that God wants you to be, to be the parent that God wants you to be. Don't be afraid. If God puts it in your heart to lead your family as you should, he will honor that in ways that will surprise you. But it starts with you. And these ways will will thrill you, but it begins with you. Get rid of all the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Change everything, even the clothes that you're wearing. And you will be amazed how your children will notice. You know these little cards that, uh, that I ask people to fill in? It's amazing, in the section on here it uh, says, name an age of children, if applicable. And the number of times people write in that box, so-and-so, 30, so-and-so, 40, so-and-so, 50. And then they put underneath in the prayer request, my children don't know God, and I'm praying for them. And as I read those cards, it just saddens me to see how this situation has occurred. Friends, we must root out every impure, worldly, selfish motive, any items and ambitions that as a family we put idolatrously before seeking and serving the Lord. Everything. There's nothing we can keep. How wonderful it is when the Holy Spirit washes us clean again and every family member puts on new clothes of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience because our children so often are just waiting for the lead. They're waiting for us to make the stand and to prove to them what it is to really know and love the Lord Jesus, and to worship God as we should be. This evening, as you're listening to this, you're perhaps thinking, but this is impossible. In fact, some of you are thinking, Sim, you're just talking idealistic gibberish. Because I've tried, and it doesn't work. 
But there's nothing else I can say to you. And I would say, look again, have you really tried? Have you begun as you should do, which is God speaking to you and you've responded to him? And then have you rooted out everything? Things that are are precious to you, they've got to go. If it is that that is causing a problem. And you know what? I believe Jacob would have said the same thing. It's impossible. Please for a moment just picture the scene. Jacob and his whole household are standing around with great joy and clear resolution as Jacob had buried all these religious trinkets and all the paraphernalia of paganism under this oak tree at Shechem. And friends, the spiritual picture is so obvious. What are we to do? What is it that God wants us to do? It's this. We're all to bury the remnant of the old life. Whatever those remnants may be. So what we have to do, friends, is to dig a deep hole. We need to bury them deep. And as we put the earth back in that hole, we need to stamp on it and pound it down. And make it hard. And we never return there ever again. Never go back to that site. And friends, on on this point I conclude by simply saying, don't tempt God again into taking more drastic action into the life of your family. That you are just shocked into submission. And stunned into acceptance of God's will. So recognize that God is telling you to make a fresh start. You know, you can all do that. And then root out and bury everything that's ungodly. That's hard because there will be things that are so precious to you. You won't even recognize they're a problem. But you've got to start looking. And you pray about everything. And then thirdly, remove yourself from all worldly And unhelpful associations. Now things are beginning to get very serious here. Genesis 35 verse 3. Then come, let us go. Jacob had to remove his family from the baneful influence of the Shechemites. Now of course, Jacob should not have been there in the first place. And we spoke about that last week. The times when God says... Don't go there, and that's where you go. Don't go into that situation, and that's where you go. Don't buy this house and mortgage yourself to the hilt because the neighbors want to see what you've got. Don't do it. Now, the necessity of a right separation between the people of God and the world is a constant biblical theme. Right the way from Genesis through to Revelation. Be separated from the world. Yes, we're in the world, but we're not part of the world. We're to evangelize the world, but we're not to become like the world. I think it was someone who said, uh, you can imitate the world to try and win the world, and you end up being won by the world. We're not here to imitate the world. But we are here to be separate. 
from the world because that's what holy living is. Now, as I've said, Jacob shouldn't have been there in the first place. Now, the necessity of a right separation between the people of God and the world is this constant theme that we have in the scriptures. The scriptures, And perhaps one of the clearest statements regarding this is 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 to 18. And I don't know if you've read them recently. It's God's word, not mine. And it says this. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So, young men, young women, don't marry someone who's not a, say, a believer. Don't marry someone who's not saved. As I keep saying, you know, they, they, they might be the most fabulous looking person or got the biggest truck or whatever it is. But you won't be happy if you're a believer. So do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? And then this statement in the middle is absolutely stunning. And we need to think about it, even about our own churches. Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. And I will receive you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Okay, so we've just read this section of scripture, and you're now thinking to yourself, the bar is set too high. God, how can I possibly reach it? How can anyone possibly reach it? Through the power of the Holy Spirit living within us, through submission to him. We can certainly do all that we can. But this is how believers are to live, so the scriptures tell us. And it's even true in our churches. Some churches welcome people who are not saved into the membership of the church. People who are not believers as members of the church. They're unsaved. They're part of the world. They're natural people. And they're able to vote in deacons. And they're able to vote in elders. And even the next pastor. And they're not saved. And they're not believers. But they have a say as to how the church is run. And then people wonder why the church has become weak and ineffective. It makes no difference in people's lives. Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Someone said to me recently, God has called me to be a witness and to stay in my church. And to win the whole church for Christ. No, God hasn't said that to you. God says, don't have any part with unbelievers. That's what God says. God says we are to come out from among them and to be separated from them. And God says, do not touch anything that is unclean. Nothing. And you say the bar is too high. So what are the dangers of ignoring this principle? And believer after believer... And church after church are all ignoring it today. What are the dangers? Remember back in Genesis 13 how Lot began by pitching his tent near to the city of Sodom? You know, think about the analogy here. 
He could see the city gates. And then we're told later that he moved into the city because the draw took him into it. Because he didn't separate himself as he should have. He got himself as close as he could without actually being inside the city. And he thought to himself, it's okay, God, I've done this. But he ended up inside the city. And there are things in our lives that we're saying, oh, it's okay with me and my family. We can do this. I'll be careful, God. And suddenly our sons and our daughters see and experience things that they shouldn't have because we got too close. We didn't keep the distance. Jacob, thankfully, was woken up to his spiritual peril and responsibility just in time. It is as though he heard the words of the Holy Spirit through the prophet Micah. Micah 2 verse 10 says, get up, go away. For this is not your resting place. Because it is defiled, it is ruined, it is beyond remedy. And spiritually speaking, this applies to our relationships and our associations, the things we like to get involved in. It applies to our churches as well. If the word of God is not preached, don't have anything to do with it. Just as we must root out and bury all the ungodly attitudes and motives that destroy our testimony and so easily poison our family life, poison our family life, we must also distance ourselves from any external influences that so easily contaminate us and drag us down so gradually we don't notice. And instead of camping outside of the gates... We've moved inside the gates. Wherever we deliberately go, whatever we deliberately look at, whatever we deliberately listen to or do that we sense is spiritually harmful, don't do it. Abandon it. Be strong enough. Be brave enough. Be close enough to God to know. You see, and I'll tell this to you from experience. Such things will never leave you. Never. You have to leave them. Do you see it? They're never going to leave you on their own. Those thoughts, those visions, those things you see and hear and do, they'll never leave you. You have to leave them. That's the only way. Then come, let us go, says Jacob. And we could add at this particular point, about time too. And so lastly, we come to the vital requirement in this prescription, which is to reestablish true worship. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. And there he built an altar and he called the place El Bethel because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Genesis 35 verses 6 and 7. <clears throat> now in closing... 
I want you to see in your minds, yes, to try and imagine the scene that we have here. I want you to try and imagine what's happening here. Imagine this scene. All of Jacob's family and his household are gathered together in strange surroundings in a rocky valley. And perhaps his family look at him somewhat quizzically. Why have you brought us here? Jacob's eyes are firmly fixed on the stone that he had rested his head on when he had that vision of the staircase going up to heaven and the angels coming and going. And at the top of the staircase, the Lord Jesus looking down. And he's got his eye firmly fixed on this stone that he'd made into an altar about 30 years or so earlier. And then the silence is broken as one of his children says, Father, why have you brought us here? For Jacob, it is a time of soul-searching, perhaps a time of confession. And I can imagine Jacob saying something like this. Well, I think I've told you before years ago. Although I've not told you often enough. What God did for me at Bethel. I saw a staircase linking heaven to earth and the Lord standing at the top and he confirmed to me my destiny and promised that he would always watch over me and never leave me and would bring me back to this land. That experience utterly changed me overnight. The next morning I made a vow. I promised that he would be my God and that when he brought me back, this stone that I have set up would become God's home, God's house. And his family look at him and they say, Father, why have you waited all this time to tell us these things? To which Jacob would reply, I have no excuse. No excuse at all. I should have done it years ago. If I had, it would have spared us all the misery, all the heartache, all the sin that we have fallen into in these past years. Jacob says, I accept full responsibility for all that has taken place. I have asked for forgiveness of my God. And now I ask for yours. Yes, this could be mere speculation. But you know what? It's difficult to believe that what actually occurred was very different. What a scene it must have been. How the tears must have flowed. Now I know that there are many Christian fathers here who would do well to follow this biblical prescription for restoring their families. Mothers as well, incidentally. And I want to say to you that it is never too late. You see, the youngest of Jacob's children were now in their late teens. And some fathers are concerned that whatever else might be achieved, their family would never agree to reestablish family worship. They say, I've left it too late. I don't think I can do it now. 
All I can do is pray privately to God that my children will somehow come back and find the Lord for themselves. That's all I can do. That's not all you can do. That's the least you can do. And I say again, with passion, it is never too late. Do not be afraid to try. From my experience, there are many wives and children who are simply longing for the husband and the father to take the spiritual lead at home. The result may be far, far greater and more blessed than you could ever imagine if you're prepared to make that stand. (laughs) They certainly were for Jacob. Notice that the family were protected as they made their way to Bethel. Very important, this point. (laughs) And we read, then they set out to Bethel. And the terror of God fell upon the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. Because the Bible tells us that no one is allowed to touch God's anointed ones when they seek to do his will. Proverbs 16, 7, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. So seek to restore your family to the glory of God. And the focuses and forces of heaven will be mobilized to assist you. You're not on your own, but it starts with you. And you've got an army in heaven that's going to help you. And going to lead you and guide you and strengthen you. But if you don't start, then that's not going to happen. Friends, don't believe me. Just try it. And of course, it all begins with your having come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It begins with our recognizing and repenting of our own sin. It begins with your conviction of sin and your turning away from your sin. It begins with your believing in Jesus Christ and becoming a believer who turns away from sin. Do it. Trust him and you'll be blessed.